0: This is an ABC podcast. So everything in this pandemic has been really ad hoc, right, Norman? We've sort of been making do the whole way through. And one of the things that we had to do to make do when we were making this podcast a couple of years ago was that I just got like an old tape recorder from the ABC that I was using to record Coronacast from home and it's finally given up the ghost. It's almost like band-aiding things together isn't a sustainable solution.
1: It's falling apart. It's COVID-related technological failure. Look, mine fell apart. Three or four months ago, and they gave me a very fancy little tape recorder as a substitute.
0: Well, maybe I need to be making long-term plans for this pandemic, after all.
1: That's right. Talk to the powers that be; they might give you a nice wee tape recorder.
0: I thought we were the the powers that be, Norman, here at CoronaCast.
1: Absolutely, we 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 determine the world.
0: Exactly. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor,
1: and I'm physician and journalist Dr. Norman Swan. It is Wednesday, the 27th of July, 2022.
0: Let's go back to basics a little bit today, Norman, because when we're looking at a new pathogen, for example, a coronavirus, two big questions that we have to ask are how bad of a disease does it cause and how contagious is it? And the sort of benchmark for really contagious diseases has always been measles. Everyone knows that measles is super contagious. One of the ways we measure measure contagiousness is a number called R0, which we'll define in a second. But for measles, it's sort of 12 to 18. And people have been saying that maybe BA5 might be in that kind of realm. But of course, R0 refers to the number of people that someone with the disease could pass it on to if no one else has pre-existing immunity to it. So two questions for you. Is uh, BA5 as bad as measles? And two, is that really the right question to be asking?
1: Well, it was confused a bit by a calculation that was made based on early South African data on BA five, and the conclusion was that it was over eighteen. They are not, but probably not a rational way of doing that. But it is more—you know—each version of the virus that's come out it has been more contagious, and some people have said if you extrapolate from delta, alpha and gamma and so on, it, it could be up around twelve, in other words, the lower end of the measles spectrum. And I've been guilty of that as well, talking about it being almost like almost like measles, certainly not more contagious than measles. The problem at this stage of the pandemic is that we've got vaccines, we've got antivirals, we've got previous infection. And so you've got this complicated environment. We've also got masks, and we'll come back to masks later. So there's all sorts of things going on in the environment. And it's pretty much impossible to come up with an accurate idea of what the R0 is for uh, BA5. You can come up with what the effective reproduction number is, which is, is it growing in the community. In other words, are we surging and it's increasing? Or and that's if it's over one and if it's under one, it might be decreasing. That's when the surge might be over. But they are not very hard to define. But the reality is that it's very contagious, whether or not it's like measles or not is another matter, because it's immune evasive. So it's evading. We've got very little immunity left with the vaccines to prevent transmission of the infection itself. When the vaccines were first introduced... The variants of the coronavirus that were circulating did seem to have very significant transmission reduction, particularly with the mRNA vaccines. But Omicron changed all that. So we've got very little protection against transmission, although we've still got good protection against severe disease. And each time a new variant comes along, it's a bit more immune evasive than the one before. So we're all susceptible.
0: And so it's not really about the R naught because we're not talking about a naive population. I think it is the is the terminology, but that doesn't really matter because what we're seeing is we are seeing a surge in infections in Australia.
1: Yes, and this is the, the, this idea of naivety is where the coronavirus is, in a sense, contradicting what was expected. So you, we had this debate about the pandemic's over this year. Some commentators said don't worry about it. We're going to accumulate immunity and it's going to get milder and milder and milder. It's not behaving like that. There's no expectation, first of all, that it will become milder. But second of all, it's becoming more contagious and your previous immunity is not necessarily having much effect. It is with vaccination, preventing severe disease, but we're not building up this herd immunity because a new variant comes along and whacks us.
0: Well, let's talk about new variants. We've been talking a lot about BA1 BA2 BA3 BA4 BA5 but there's a new subvariant of omicron that's being called BA2.75 some people are calling it centaurus which is i don't know it's kind of sexy actually <laughs> how scary how scary is it though
1: we don't know uh, we simply don't know it's uh, another subvariant of the omicron in the omicron family and we just don't know enough about it yet. Um, but these things keep on spinning, and as as there's a high amount of virus circulating, there's uh, you know, throughout the world, there's a lot of Omicron around. There's a lot of BA five around. Um, we've still got we're still under immunized in poor countries, so we're going to be spinning off subvariants and new variants frequently. The question is whether they matter. We just don't know yet for two point seven five.
0: Does giving something a cool name make it? Worse.
1: <laughs> Self determined.
0: Because <laughs> this isn't from the Greek alphabet. This is just, I think it was just some guy on Twitter was like, let's call it after a constellation. And so that's where Centaurus has come from. But of course, as soon as you give something a cool name, it really kind of catches on.
1: It does. But um, does it catch on in our nose and respiratory epithelium? <laughs> that's what counts.
0: Fair enough. So let's talking about, let's keep talking about this surge of infections. We heard over the last few days that Australia is towards the top of the list globally when it comes to per capita infections and deaths, which seems like a very dubious honour.
1: It is. And you just got to be careful with those league tables, although New Zealand, I think, is up there with us. And the suggestion is that we were more naive populations to the virus and we're suffering for that now. I think that you've got to go back in history. We have almost no controls left in Australia against the virus, apart from vaccines and antivirals. We've just abandoned that. And we abandoned it back in December and progressively from then on. And it seems that state governments don't want to reimpose it. So we've got pretty much freely circulating virus in the community so it's not a surprise and it's a virus to which most of us are susceptible and we're getting reinfection rates if we're like um, say New York or perhaps parts of Europe we might have infection rates reinfection rates of 20 to 25 percent so this is a virus that is just going to run away from us. And because of the volume of infections, we are also going to get more deaths as a result. That will just flow through. It's still at a lower rate. I was looking at the number of deaths that New York had when they were in the worst of their initial wave in March, and they had eight hundred deaths a day. And I can't remember whether that was the state or just the city, but either way, it's a smaller. It's a bit of a smaller population. It's a smaller population than Australia, and we've got. 80 deaths a day, which is enormous by any standard, but it's still lower than it was. But that's you know, we seem to be relying on that as good news rather than it's just pretty horrendous that 80 people a day on some days are dying.
0: Yeah, that's 80 families who've lost a loved one. So you did promise before that we were going to talk about masks. Is that part of what you see as being part of the mitigation strategy here?
1: Well, it's not what I see. It's If you, if you take the land of the free, in the United States, more and more counties are, inst- are reinstituting mandating masks. I mean, mandate's an inflammatory word. But when you create a rule that there'll be masks here, there, and whatever, is we know how to behave rather than being any doubt about the matter. And it's about slowing down the disease. So 5% of people might say, stuff you, I'm not going to be told by the government what to do, but at least 95% of us or thereabouts or whatever the number might be, the majority of us will actually wear masks, which will help.
0: Well, Andrea's, Andrea's actually written in that saying, why is the government so scared to put more restrictions to curb the current COVID wave? She doesn't think that there'd be much backlash of putting measures such as mask mandates in. She actually wants to start a backlash because they're not mandating it.
1: Yeah, it just, people just get confused and don't know what to do and they feel out on a limb if they do wear a mask. I just think it's hard. And you've been working, Tegan, with uh, Will on a special on ventilation and how we catch this through the air and what we could be doing.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, like we're talking about mask mandates, we're talking about things that we could be doing at a population level to help control COVID. And what we're really hearing resoundingly from experts, and I think you've mentioned it once or twice too, Norman, is that ventilation is the key. So we'll have a special episode of CoronaCast on Monday going into a bit more detail about that. Good.
1: Well, we look forward to that really important issue. We could be getting on with stuff right now.
0: But then, in terms of death rates, the other thing that we do have at dis- at our disposal that we don't perhaps seem to be using as much as we could be is antivirals.
1: Yes, and interesting, the Financial Times uh, recently has been reporting that there's a worldwide glut of Paxlovid.
0: Oh, the one that the one that works really well. <laughs> Great.
1: The one that works really well and it does not seem to be taken up in the predicted numbers that the manufacturer. Was hoping for. Although they've made a fortune, they're. they're I think Pfizer is targeted to make twenty two billion dollars this year out of Paxlovid, but still there are there's an excess of supply.
0: But we hear people in Australia saying they'd love to be able to get their hands on it, and they just can't.
1: What's I think emerging with Paxlovid is that it's not straightforward to prescribe it. For people who are most vulnerable. If you've got kidney problems, which is which are very common when you become elderly with comorbidities, if you're on certain drugs, they it, it interacts with those drugs. So molnupiravir, the alternative, is simpler to prescribe, but it's not as effective. It does reduce hospitalisation, but not as much as Paxlovid. But there are various countries in the world which are talking about pharmacists being able to prescribe it um, and, and getting it much more widely available in the community. The, the, the other problem that you've got with more prescribing of these drugs is you may get more resistance. So you might actually select for viruses that are resistant to the antivirals. But it is one of the tools in the in the kit bag. I mean, where we need to go with here is a vaccine which reduces transmission, and that's incredibly hard for a respiratory virus.
0: So people who are most eligible for Paxlovid are probably at the older end of the age spectrum. But if we can come down in age a little bit, Marita's got a question saying, What's the latest research on twelve to fifteen year olds and boosters, because schools are being decimated, and um they they're more than nine months past their second dose in many instances.
1: I think what sits behind Marita's question is the assumption that having the vaccine will prevent transmission in schools, and it won't unfortunately with b a five. And twelve to fifteen year olds still seem to be pretty well protected with their second dose against severe disease. Although some clinicians are reporting older people, so n- not in their 1920s, but older than adolescents, young people, younger people, younger than 60, turning up in hospital because they've only had two vaccinations and they are getting sicker with BA5. They're not necessarily ending up in ICU, but long COVID is, is still um, an issue and vaccination does reduce long COVID. So Atagi has still not approved a third dose. And my understanding is that they're still whilst there is evidence that your antibodies are increased with the third dose, even in adolescence, um, I think that they're still concerned about uh, giving them another dose. There is this new information on pregnancy as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. There's actually some really good news coming out about COVID-19 vaccination in pregnancy. So there's a study in Melbourne. This particular paper is a preprint, but it's it's a part of a, a broader study that basically showed that vaccinated women... It was safe, safe for them, safe for Bub to have the vaccination during pregnancy. And then a different paper that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that there were higher risks of complications if women got COVID during pregnancy. So preventing infection by whatever means, so vaccination plus the other things that we were just talking about, women who got COVID during pregnancy were 22 times more likely to die than pregnant women without COVID. Their babies were sicker. They were more likely to be born preemie. They were more likely to have complications. But really interestingly, what they actually found was asymptomatic women who were tested positive for COVID had similar outcomes to women who didn't get COVID at all. So there's this sense of maybe vaccination, you could still catch the virus, but if you're asymptomatic, you still enjoy many of the protections that not getting COVID had, at least as far as this study goes.
1: And while we're on about immunisation in pregnancy, it's really important.
0: Are you going to mention influenza? I am. (laughs) Funny that. Better say it, better say it, just in case.
1: No matter what the season You get immunised against influenza. It's not good news to get influenza when you're pregnant.
0: You're nothing if not consistent, Dr Swan.
1: Oh, just bang away at it.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Check out our website, abc.net.au slash coronacast to ask a question and listen out for Monday's special episode on ventilation.
1: Yes, breathe shallowly behind a mask until then.
0: Yes, indeed.